following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Hey, this morning, we're talking about a topic I'm really excited about. It's the topic of worship and the theme of worship, and that's why we extended worship a little bit today. The theme of worship runs throughout the Bible. It's not a New Testament thing. It's just a biblical thing from the beginning till, till today. And worship is more than what people think worship is. Um, you can just turn that down a little bit, Joe. That'd be great. Thank you. Worship, worship is a dimension in the life of a believer that we even see happening in the Old Testament that radical things happen when people worship. Uh, we we kind of have this understanding today about worship being... You know, you get to church, you do two songs, you make the announcements, and you, know, you teach the Bible, and maybe you listen to a little worship music in your car, and that's how we've minimized worship. But I would say to the people of Israel, worship was a big thing. Worship was a lifestyle. People would go up to the temple to worship. Worship was done differently, and I believe in the New Testament, when we look at some snapshots here today in the Word, we're going to see that worship has a radical dimension to our life and our intimacy with God that really changes things. You know, we come to faith, we, we learn who Jesus is, we start to follow him, we start to read the word and get to know the God of the word through the word of God, which is beautiful. But through worship, there's a dimension of experiencing God that you can't, you can't do it any other way. Literally, God meeting with us. And so I want to look at some, some aspects of that. We were in Romans, and I just want to use the, the section of Romans we're in right now as a launching pad, because the Apostle Paul has been teaching through Romans 15, uh, he's writing this letter. It's been radical things, great stuff. But all of a sudden, he goes on a, almost like a, a tangent, if you will, a tangent of praise, a tangent of worship. Like he, he can't even help himself. You know, he's writing this letter and all of a sudden he's like, God, you're good and I praise you. And he just starts going off on this praise in the middle of a letter. And then he's like, oh, let me get back to the letter. And, and then he finishes chapter 16. And you see, this is kind of Paul's modality. Paul's the kind of guy He's locked up in prison. And he says, you know, Silas, we can't bust our way out of here, but we could worship our way out of here. And they start praising God in a locked, stinky dungeon at midnight, praising God. And the presence of God shows up and things are forever changed. Lives change through this process, not in just Paul's life. Throughout the Bible, people inviting God's presence through worship. Remember in the... In, in the wilderness, when, when the chosen people were traveling through the, the wilderness, God said this. He's like, look, I'll be your God and you'll be my people and I will make my dwelling among you. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to be with you. And then in the New Testament, God says, I don't dwell in temples anymore. I dwell in the hearts of people. And yet, and yet, when we seek him, we will find him. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. There's some radical components of what happens in worship. So I'm going to jump in with this really quick, and we're going to see some really cool things that happened during worship. When people are sincere, truly seeking God, and really wanting to, you know, we know Him as God Almighty, the Creator, and we know that from Scripture, and that's a reality. But when we start to know Him as a loving Father who is in mad pursuit of you and I, and that He's willing to meet with us always, and then we can run to him literally and, and we, can, we can experience his presence and his love. That changes everything. And my prayer is that when we're done with this today, that everyone would be compelled to be a, 
pursuer of God through worship on a whole nother dimension. My prayer is that we, we start going, God, if, I, if there is a way that I can literally, literally, not just know about you, but meet with you, I want to do that. Are you guys up for that? I mean, if you can meet with the living God, the creator of the universe, how many want to meet with him? Hallelujah. Guys, this is a big deal. And today we're going to look at what it takes to, to meet with God. What is the heart of a worshiper? So just to jump uh, as a launching pad, let's look at Romans 15. This is where, where Paul just went on this little tangent of worship. You know, he's been writing some great things. And all of a sudden he says in verse 9 of Romans 15, he says, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, and who will rise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that, listen to this, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is having this moment of contagious praise. It's like a little tangent of worship, if you will. He, he can't help it. And the reason he can't help it is because he overflows with the Spirit of God in his life. Jesus promised an overflow. And Paul understands this. He just, just starts praising him. And he's in writing this letter to the Romans, he's, he's writing these different verses from the Bible, almost like you would make a medley, a medley of, of music. You would put different choruses together. That's what he's doing. He's writing this praise from Isaiah and this one from here. And he's, he's just linking all these praises together and it's coming out. But he, he says that through our praises, this is interesting, through your praise and through my praise, this is what the word says and this was prophesied. Through your praise and through my praise, the Gentiles will know. In other words, the world will know. The world will begin to understand something about the living God through your praise and mine. That's what the prophecy of the Bible was. Through the praise of God's people, because there's something happening, there's a holy moment happening when the people of God worship the living God and His presence is, God is showing up. There's, there's a category that the world doesn't know what to do with that. It's a, it's a holy moment. Uh, God is showing up, but they, this is saying that if we worship God our, through our praises, uh, the world will know. And I think that's amazing. That's what happened, if you remember the day of Pentecost, what had happened is all the, not just apostles, 120 men and women in an upper room seeking God, believing that God said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you, believing what Jesus said. And so as they're waiting, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power now the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Some of you might think it's tongues. Some of you might think it's other things. But I'll tell you what the single manifestation was. All the people, the Gentiles all gathered around because they said all these people, they said what they heard. What they heard is these people are singing praises to God in my language. Everybody heard praise. I mean, this is a big deal, guys. The church went from 120 to 3,120 in about a second. The prophecy is true. People heard praises to God in, in a way they can relate to. It resonated with their soul. They're like, I don't know about you, but I'm hearing this in my language. And so what had happened that day is some were saying, I don't get it. Some of the Gentiles were going, I don't get it. I think they're drunk. 
It doesn't make any sense to me. And some people may think of that of your praise. That's okay. Yet there are others that will recognize holy moments between God and his people, and they're going to say, I am hearing praises to God, and it's in my language. And I get it, and I want to get in on that. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. So this prophecy is true. This is what happens. It goes on to say, he's talking about the God of hope who wants to fill you and I with overflow, an overflow of hope and joy of peace. But that overflow cannot happen. This is the abundant life Jesus is talking about. It cannot happen when you and I are focused on our circumstances. It cannot happen when you and I are staring at the problem. When you and I are looking at the dilemma and we're just... It doesn't mean we don't pray and we don't figure our way through things, but when we're stuck on the problem, you and I will not overflow with hope and peace and joy. But when we're fixed on him, he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him. He will keep in perfect peace she whose mind is stayed on him. This is a fruit of the Spirit. The, The hope and the joy and the peace are an outflow of the Holy Spirit, not when we're focused on the problem, but when we're focused on our Heavenly Father that loves us. Does that make sense? And because of that, because of that, our intimacy with Him is paramount. It is the most important thing to seek Him and to worship God, even when you don't feel like it. Do you think Paul felt like it being in that stinky dungeon at midnight? You don't feel like it. You would say, this is lame, Silas. What did we do to deserve this? We love God. We're serving Him. And here we are in a stinky dungeon. We might get killed or beaten again. What did we do to deserve this? That's what we would think. That's what we would think. But Paul shows us there's an outflow. There's an outflow of hope, of love, of joy, of peace. And it comes through keeping our eyes fixed on him. So they just start to light it up in the middle of the night. They just pick a chorus and they just start to praise him at the top of their lungs. And we've said before that that prison guard has probably heard many, many sounds of men in the middle of the night crying out, screaming, some men breaking and snapping because that's what happens in prison. But that night, he heard the most glorious praise he'd ever heard in his life. He heard a sound that never normally comes from a prison cell. And that was the sound that preempted God showing up in power, presence of the Spirit. Doors are busting wide open and the prison's opening up. Radical stuff. There's an overflow and it can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's praise it's tied to an overflow of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want to talk about, the heart of a worshiper today. Praise is tied to an outflow of the Holy Spirit. And there's this radical reciprocation that the Spirit of God in the life of every believer, if you've said yes to the resurrected Jesus, you are given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, a seal of what is to come, a sign of your redemption. That's beautiful. And yet, there's a filling of the Holy Spirit where we see the apostles had already believed in the resurrected Jesus, In the Gospels, Jesus already breathed on them and said to them in the Gospels, receive the Holy Spirit. The apostles received the Holy Spirit. And yet he said, wait until you receive power from on high. And they're all waiting and praying. They receive power. It was manifest in praise. The first thing that happened when they were filled is praise coming out of their mouth. And the Gentiles going, what is up with that? What is up? And so we see it's an outflow. But the... The burden for me, and it's part of our mission at this church, our mission at Metro Church here in in the Valley is knowing God and making Him known. And we know God through His Word. We teach His Word. It's His Word. It's Spirit-breathed. We teach His Word all the time. 
But also knowing God includes experiencing the living God. And if we just know about God and don't know God, we're missing it. If we think we're experiencing God and don't know what his word says, then we could be radically misdirected in our experience. But when we know the word of God and the God of the word, when we know him personally, when we actually meet with him through worship, we're changed forever. And I want to show you briefly a snapshot of some folks throughout scripture who have had encounters with the living God in moments of worship that were changed forever. And I say this because in moments of worship, I've been changed forever. And that's why we love to worship the Lord around here. And my prayer, again, is that no matter where you are on this topic of worship, worship can be a lifestyle, yes, but there's also a time, even through the Bible, where they would just stop everything, not driving, not on the phone, not working, stop and worship God, focused on Him, fixed on Him, no distractions. And when worship is pure, God would show up in the presence of his Holy Spirit and people are changed forever. Let's do a little flyby if we could on some of these because there are all kinds of times where God blesses the worship and shows up in power. Uh, The first one I'm thinking about is Moses. Moses is up on the hill and God reveals himself. God reveals himself through this burning bush and Moses' response is drops to his knees and falls down worshiping the living God. He's in a moment of worship. And in this moment of worship, in this moment of God's presence, this is what happens in the presence of God. He received his calling. Many people walking through life without a calling. When was Moses' calling received? It was received in the presence of God. Not only his calling, God gave him a definitive plan. The plan was discovered in the presence of God. And this anointing to go do, Moses is like, well, what about, how are you going to equip me, God? And he goes, you see that staff you have in in your hand? It's not a normal staff anymore. Go ahead, Moses. So he got his calling. He was equipped. He was anointed to lead. All these things happened in the presence of God. It didn't happen because he was reading some book studying somewhere, as valuable as that stuff is. It happened in the presence of God. And as a result, Israel's future was changed. Because God used somebody who knew how to stay in the presence of God and listen to his voice and get his direction. Is that cool to you guys or what? I don't know about you, but that that does something for me. Um, So after being in God's presence, God's glory, check this out. After being in his presence, God's glory was reflected on Moses. That's another dimension about being in the presence of God. When you've been in the presence of God, it is evident. There's an evidence that is upon you, your demeanor. When you're in the presence of God in a worship environment and when God's inhabiting our praises, you are changed. We get changed. Moses comes down. They see the glory of God on his face. And Moses is like, whoa, seriously? He didn't have a mirror. He didn't know that. But then something started to happen. Moses wasn't necessarily pursuing the presence of God regularly. And the, and the glory started to fade. And you know what Moses did? He put a veil over his face to cover it. Moses didn't want anyone to know the glory was fading. Isn't that interesting? Instead of putting a veil on his face to cover the fact that the glory was fading, he could have ran right back into the presence of the living God again. Isn't that amazing? But it's an interesting thing about the glory of God and the presence of God. Here's a cool one. In the Old Testament, Elisha the prophet, God is telling him, Elisha, I want you to prophesy. I want you to speak forth my words. I want you to tell the people what is stirring me, and I'm looking for someone to deliver the message. Elisha 
deliver the message. And you know what Elisha says? It's pretty amazing. He's like, he knew he needed to first get his heart right and his head right before he could ever open his mouth and speak for God. I love this snapshot. You're like, Elisha, you're a prophet. <laughs> Just get up and speak. No, no, I, I can't. Why not, Elisha? I, I'm not ready. Why aren't you ready? Because if I'm going to speak on behalf of God, I got to get so intimate with him first. I got to be so intimate with the living God. I got to be so sensitive to his spirit. How dare me ever just open my mouth and start saying stuff? I got to get so locked in with him right now. My heart, my head, every, everything's got to be right. And so you know what he says? This is what we need. Would you bring me a worship leader, please? Elisha the prophet who prophesies. Like, I'm not ready to prophesy. Bring me a worship leader. And they bring in a worship leader who starts praising, and I'm sure there's a time lapse in there, but after enjoying a moment in the presence of the living God, Elisha's like, now I'm ready. Now I got my message. Now I know what God Almighty is saying. Now I know what the Spirit is wanting to say to the church. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now I'm ready, because I've been in the presence of God. And that's a prophet. That should speak volumes to us. That's in 2 Kings 3.15. Then it happened. When the musician played, then the hand of the Lord came upon him, and then he said, this is what the Lord says. Isn't that a cool sequence? Prophesy, Elisha, I'm not ready. Spend time with God in worship, <laughs> now I'm ready. You see how God does that? That's how God fills us. That's how God discloses himself to us. That's how God speaks and shows us these things. Radical stuff. <clears throat> Isaiah 6 Another radical snapshot in scripture where a moment of worship changes someone's future. These, the Bible is sprinkled with these holy moments. You can't get around them. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6. He was in this deep place of worship. And even the New Testament says we can, because of what Jesus did, we can go to his throne of grace and it's really cool. But Isaiah's having this moment. He's worshiping God. And he has what some refer to as a throne room experience. Now, this might be subjective to different people's feelings and what worship feels like to different people. I don't want to necessarily talk about what worship feels like to different people, but I do want to talk about the spiritual reality that you and I can enter into his presence. That's a reality. The Bible talks about worship being a pathway and praise being a pathway to the presence of the living God. And this is scattered throughout scripture. Isaiah's having this throne room experience. He's having this experience where he's in worship and God is making himself known. And this is what he says. He goes, in this experience of worship, he says, I see the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This is what Isaiah is experiencing in a time of worship. He's like, I, I am getting a glimpse of God. I'm getting a glimpse that's changing me. Isaiah is about to be a completely changed person as a result of this experience. And then, in this moment of worship, God personally revealed himself to Isaiah. Worship experience, God inhabiting the praises, God reveals himself to Isaiah through this revelation. And the first thing that happened in this revelation, because if the truth were told... When you and I are in an encounter with the presence of the living God himself, the first thing that ought to happen, and it's, it's okay, is we come to terms with this cortisone right here. We come to terms with the, our own heart. It's not just, oh, anointing, blessing, anointing, blessing, but it's like, 
First, first things first, just like Elisha, wait a minute, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be used by God. I've got to get this heart right. Would you bring in a worship leader? I need to get in his presence before I can do anything. Isaiah, the same thing. There's something radical that happens. Convictions in the heart and the presence of the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. Spirit of God is good at that. And it's a, it's a reflection of a real snapshot. The real heart condition and the presence of the living God. The first thing he goes, he's like, oh, wow, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm a man of, un- I know you're revealing yourself. I know I'm having a throne room experience, but honestly, God, I am not ready. I'm a man of unclean lips, Lord. God's like, yeah, I know. I'm revealing myself to you anyway. Isn't it interesting? He came to terms with his sin. God didn't say, Isaiah, what is wrong with your mouth? What is wrong with your words? What's wrong with your... No. It's Isaiah in the presence of God going, oh, Lord, I appreciate your presence. I got to tell you, I got some sin in my life, and it has to do with some stuff coming out of my mouth, God, and I, I don't know if we can go any further in this, in this encounter, in this presence right now, because I got an issue right here, God. God's like, yeah, I know. God's like, I got a nap for that. God's got a nap for everything. God's got an app for that. The angel of God goes over to the, to the fire. The sacrifice is burning and takes a coal from the altar of God's sacrifice and walks over to Isaiah and touches his lips with it. His lips are healed. Those lips are cured. Those lips are anointed now. Let me tell you something about the fire of God. The fire of God does not burn the fire of God only fans us into flame. The fire of God doesn't, isn't sent to burn people. It is sent to ignite people for his glory. That's what the fire of God does. That's what happened even on Pentecost when we see tongues of fire. Why fire? Because fire burns. But God, it burns just like when they were in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in the fire. But they didn't come out smelling like folk. It's not a consuming fire in the sense of God burning. It's, a, it's God fanning and fueling you with fire. And Isaiah has this moment with God. He realizes his heart condition. He says, I got an issue here, God. God's like, I'm well aware of that. I got something for you. And because he was sincere and because he confessed, and confession is a radical pathway to anointing, by the way. We don't have time to go deep on it, but confession is an enormous pathway to anointing took the coals from the altar, touched his lips. Isaiah was a changed man. You know what happened to Isaiah right then and there? God's like, now who's going to go for us? I will, God. I don't know about anybody else. I don't know who's going to go for you, God. I don't know who's willing to go public for you in this city, he was saying. But here am I, send me. I don't necessarily have what it takes, but I will step up and be used by you. God is like, bravo, that is exactly what I'm looking for, in fact, the Father, Son, and Spirit present in the same place. God is saying, who will go for us? Who's going to go for us? Jesus, you're yet to come. Spirit of God, you're going to be poured out. Who's going to go for us? Isaiah's like, I will. Isaiah, his heart's revealed. Heart conditions change. Confession comes out. He's anointed. He receives his calling and his anointing. And he's ignited for the glory of God. And then he goes on to prophesy throughout Israel, writing the book of Isaiah... And matter of fact, Isaiah is like the most quoted Old Testament prophet in the Bible, and he points more to Messiah than any other prophet. What a calling, huh? What a thing to prophesy about. And it started with a worship experience, seeing the the Lord on the throne. Radical stuff. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3, here's what happens. The Israelites are returning from captivity. They've been in Babylonian captivity for a long time. 
they come back. They're like, we got to rebuild our temple. We got to rebuild the foundation. We got to get this temple built again. And that is very well intended. But you know what they said? We're not even going to put a stone down. We're not even going to start mixing any mortar. We're not going to do anything with the temple until we build an altar of worship. Isn't that cool? Like, we can build the temple later, but we're not building the temple until we're worshiping God. If we're not worshiping while we're building, we're missing the whole point. You see what he's saying right here? There's got to be a, an altar of worship. And so they said the first thing we're going to do as a nation, as a people, we're going to set up an altar and we are going to worship the living God. Then we're going to build. And they continued in their worship. It speaks volumes because an altar of worship is symbolic of our lives too and the priority that worship ought to be. But we forget it today. We compartmentalize worship. We put worship in a category, do two songs before church, move along, and oh yeah, there's worship music and worship artists, but who are you and I as a worshiper? I mean, would you describe yourself as a worshiper? Are you a worshiper? Is worship foreign to you? I know it was for me. I was raised Catholic, and the first time I walked into a church that was having a moment with God in praise, literally an encounter with God, I did not know what to do with that, and I wasn't very into it. I'm like, I don't know about this. These guys are weird. Raising their hands and stuff. That's what I'm thinking. Why are you doing all that? Why? Because it was foreign to me because I wasn't raised that way. And based on the way I was raised, that looked weird. However, if you raised in Israel and your parents all their life were going up to the temple, making sacrifice and praising God, it would be normal for you. So we based what's normal and, and, and abnormal based on our experience rather than the word of God. Paul says, I want men and women to raise hands everywhere to the Lord God giving thanks. These expressions of worship that are Old Testament, that are new, that are throughout Scripture. This is not a charismatic or non-charismatic thing. Don't let anyone tell you postures of worship are charismatic or not charismatic. That's simply not a biblical answer. These are postures of worship going back to the oldest of the Old Testament all the way throughout the New Testament. These are expressions of worship, of praise and adoration to our God and to our King. And, and, and worship has just been an ongoing theme in the lives of people that God has used there's others who built worship, uh, altars of worship. Going all the way back to Noah, the first thing Noah did when he got off the ark, guys, the first thing he did, I'm building an altar of worship. You would think the first thing you're doing is I'm going to get some carne asada. I've been on this boat a long time, man. I want to get out and run about five miles, man. No, that's not what he did. The first thing, first thing, altar of worship. I'm gonna, this is going to be great. There's a whole new beginning here, but we're not doing anything until we stop and worship the Lord. Do you get what God's doing in the lives of these people? I mean, that's what I, I want us to see. Do you see what he's doing in the lives of these people who understand worship? And so Noah is out there. Abel, you know Cain and Abel? Abel, this is going back to the beginning. Abel saying, giving God my first fruits, I'm building an altar and I'm, I'm worshiping God. Way back in the beginning. This is before there's any instruction. Moses didn't even write anything yet. No one's even writing about instruction and worship. And Abel goes, I know I was made to worship. I know he's God Almighty and I'm not. And I love him and he loves me. And I'm going I'm to worship him way back in the beginning. Abel, Noah, Abraham built altars of worship. Radical stuff. And here's a cool thing. Since Abraham built altars of worship and he modeled it so well, guess what? His children did. His children did, church. Abraham built altars of worship. Isaac turned around in his life and built altars of worship. And Jacob 
built altars of worship. Why? Because this is what we do. This is what we do. God is God Almighty, Elohim, Adonai. He's the first, the last. He's the king. He's the all-knowing prince of peace. We are made to worship him. They got it. They got it. We read about guys like this today and gals who understand the heart of worship. Moses was one who understood worship. All these experiences. You know who, you know who was an amazing one who got it? Is David. The, the one we think of, King David, the guy who can take on a, a, you know, a Goliath with a slingshot, that brave guy. We look at parts like that of the kingdom going, wow, that guy was awesome. You know what God said was awesome? Not that part. God said the reason that he's going to get to go against this giant isn't because he's just a crazy kid or a courageous kid. It's because it started back when he was in the field, singing out praises to his God, looking up at the stars going, God, you're the God of wonders and you're beyond all your, your majesty. And David, as a little boy in the field, singing out praises to his God, writing songs for the king back as a child. It was in his heart. And God said, this boy gets it. This boy is a boy after my own heart. And God's like, I got a plan. I got a hope and a future for this boy. I got a plan. I got a promise. I'm going to do radical things because he gets it. Worship is something you got to get. Worship is not optional. If you're a believer in the resurrected Jesus, worship is not optional. You know, there's a whole lot more. I think we're going to do part two next week because this, this theme of worship is important. I want us to take a moment as a church and stop and look at what it is and what it's not. I want us to look at how we encounter God. In fact, this would be great if the worship team comes up. Um, but to really understand that worship is a pathway. And I would say if you were like me, there's the hindrances of worship, the reason why some people don't worship is probably one or two things. Either not having the proper understanding of what worship really is and simply not knowing. Not knowing that it's this biblical premise of drawing near God and not understanding it, not knowing it. That, that's one. That's a valid reason to not worship God, because you didn't know. You didn't know what it was. You didn't know it was that important. You didn't know there was a way it actually could be done to have this moment with God in the invisible realm. You, you didn't know it. We'll talk about that more next week. The other one is this, and this is the one I want to address, because this one, there's really no good excuse for this. This is where I was over here in this place. I was in this place that in a time of worship, when I finally stopped thinking people were weird worshiping God, and I finally said, okay, I'm going to close my eyes. Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm not raising my hands to do anything weird. I'm going to close my eyes. And as I began to close my eyes and worship, I began to sense the presence of God as I began to sing to him because the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And I realized in that time, I have this choice whether I am going to surrender at a deeper, le deeper level personally or not stay here right in the safe zone. For me, it felt like I know where I am here, but I'm about to step into uncharted territory, and I don't know if I want to do that. So I stayed right here for a while. Those guys, they're doing their own thing, whatever they're doing. But for me, with my background, it depends on how you were raised, for me to step over this line of unknown, invisible realm, who knows what that might be like, I didn't want to do it. And there was one night, I remember standing there, and the, in worship, the presence of the, God, the living God was getting so real, I finally went... I was even embarrassed. I didn't even want anybody to see me. I'm just confessing my sin before you. I went in this church. They had those big pillars. You know those round pillars? I went in front of one of those. No one's going to see me. I can have a moment with God here. If I'm going to have my first moment with God, it's going to be in private, not in public. And I said, okay, here it goes. 
And I remember just beginning to lift my hands and I felt the spirit of God saying, do you see the glorious freedom in this? Do you see the glorious freedom in this? And I'll tell you what, from that night, I never stopped raising my hands. I I can't stop raising my hands because there's something about an overflow of the Holy Spirit in your life when you realize who he is and who we are because of who he is. You have to praise him. So we're going to talk more about this next week, guys, but I want to encourage you during the week, pursue him as a worshiper. If you don't know what it is, say, God, show me how to be a worshiper. Show me, by the, not by strength or might. It doesn't happen by strength or might. It cannot by your human, but by the power of your spirit, show me how to worship you and be a worshiper. We got any in the room that, that are committed to being worshipers this morning? Amen. Well, you know, again, pray through this during the week. We're going to close in some time of worship. I would encourage you, now is a great time to say, show me, Lord. If you've never closed your eyes, to begin to close your eyes. If you've never raised your hand, this is not charismatic. It's a biblical sign. If a police officer said, freeze, put your hands up, you'd do it in a second. If your team wins at a baseball game, touchdown, you'd go, yeah! But to, to the lover of your soul, I won't do that. Ooh, think about that. Don't worry about anyone around you. They're weird too. Have a moment with God. And, and whatever your expression, if you want to get on your knees, if you want to just close your eyes, there's no pressure. You want to raise your hand. This is not a pressure thing, guys. But it is an encouragement to go deeper in a posture of worship, in a heart condition of worship before the living God because things happen in his presence and you can't afford to miss out on the presence of the living God. Amen? Mighty God, we just thank you for this time. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.